Uh, We are now in Matthew chapter 5, and let me read this passage, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, and uh, let me read the passage to you this morning, and everybody, why don't we go ahead and stand, we'll stand one more time, I know you're like, man, this is a church, stand, sit, stand, sit, Um, but Matthew chapter 5, and let me read to you on anger, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus And now he comes to the topic of murder and anger. Look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to judgment. To the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand him hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And let me pray one more time. God, first of all, we pray for Lydia this morning in the first service. We pray uh, for the Kilgallen family, that they would be blessed in the second service. And we pray that that would just be a great, simple, yet powerful moment in their lives. And God, now we pray for the word, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word. Help us to be your students, your followers, and bless our hearts by replacing anger with worship, by replacing anger with reconciliation. God, may you bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Why are we looking at the Sermon on the Mount as a church? And it's really simple. This is why. We want to learn how to follow Jesus in a fallen world. We want to hear him speak into our lives how to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-representing ambassadors for God's glory in a culture in crisis. And we want to do that right. We want to do that lovingly. We want to do that, uh, uh, we want to do that in a, a loving way, but in a bold way. We want to be strong and courageous and yet humble and reaching. And we want to be salt and light of the world. And Jesus says, listen... I want to bless you with the life of the kingdom, and I want you to represent the kingdom really well. Now, when you begin to think about that theologically, it's really powerful because Jesus has brought the kingdom of God. And in Christ, the kingdom of God begins to happen on earth all the way up to its consummation in his second coming. But on a practical level, we need help. And one of the things that Jesus does is he says, listen, if you're going to be my disciples... If you're going to represent my kingdom, if you're going to experience my kind of life, you must urgently address anger in your life. You must quickly, he says here in the text. Did you hear that? He said, go quickly and be reconciled. Quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Uh, Leave your gift at the altar, he says, and go quickly And be reconciled to your brother. He's saying, listen, I need you to urgently deal with this. You're like, why did you choose anger on Mother's Day? Because listen, you're tempted to say, let's skip it on Mother's Day. We'll go the next week after that. But here's why. Because Jesus says, don't put anything else before this. 
Deal quickly and urgently with your anger. Now, why? Why? Let me give you three quick reasons to motivate you to get urgent on issues of anger in your life. Number one, because anger in your life, if it goes undealt with, is like a broken piece of glass in your hand. Can I get an amen? You're just holding it. And the longer you hold it, the more you're going to squeeze. And the more you're going to squeeze, the more it ends up hurting you. Now, here's what I want you to know pastorally, and this is what I really felt like I needed to say at this very moment in the sermon. I know that some of you have been deeply hurt and perhaps even abused. And some of the anger that you've been holding in your life, perhaps for years, is almost justified, okay? And there's nothing I can say in this sermon that's going to take all of that away, whatever that issue is, whatever that history is, whatever that divorce is, whatever, whatever that, that parent failure is, whatever that pastor failure is. And you're, I, I don't know what it is, but I know this, that I want to be sensitive to you, and I want you to hear that Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus wants to come into your life and bring peace to your life. And I know that it's difficult to deal with anger if there's a context of radical abuse or something that really went wrong. But listen, God is with you. And God still wants you to get urgent on dealing with and responding and and dealing with the anger. Because you know what? If you hang on to it, it's not hurting the person that hurt you. It's hurting you. It's hurting you. And Jesus wants to free you. He is our Savior. Amen? He's not, he's not a policeman who's coming down saying, what's your resume? What have you done for me lately? Jesus is dealing with anger because he's our liberator, our Savior. He didn't come to deal with just kind of abstract ideas. He came to deal with our life. And he wants to get that piece of glass out of your hand. Amen. Now, the second thing with anger, here's the second thing. Not only is anger a broken piece of glass in your hand, but you become, watch this, like a branch with thorns in the hands of other people. You see, you become unapproachable. You become a person that other people can't deal with. You become a person that, that, that people can't relate to anymore. You slowly become a person that can't be trusted. Other people can't be around you. Even people you love can't be around you if you are hanging on to anger. You yourself become thorns in the lives of other people. Now, again, I want to say this with grace and yet with boldness. I want to be frank, but I want to be loving because that's how Jesus is. But here's the deal. You were meant to influence people positively. You are meant to be an attractive light that other people can be around, your wife, your husband, your children, all of the people in your life, the people you work with, God wants to make you smooth so that when they get around you, they are blessed by your life and you have influence and you have significance. And when you die to go be with Jesus, hallelujah, and they stand at your funeral, they'll mean it when they say, man, when I was around that person, they made a difference in my life. When I was around that person, they left a legacy in my life. That's the person you want to be. You don't want to be the person that nobody can be around because you're angry. But here's the third thing. Not only a broken piece of glass, not only a thorny branch, but the third reason and the most important. Anger belongs in the pit of hell. Undealt with anger belongs in the pit of hell. Do you hear what Jesus said? Jesus said, dramatically, I might say, which I love how Jesus is dramatic. You know, you're either going to love him or hate him by the time he's done talking to you. Amen. He's going to make you make a decision. He says in verse 
22. You'll be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What's he saying? He's saying that undealt with anger belongs in the pit of hell. And why would you cultivate something in your life? Why would you hang on to something in your life that only deserves to be burned up by the fires of hell? That's like hanging out with a terrorist and saying, even though they kill Americans, I think I'll be buddies with this guy. You know, I think I'll hang out with him a little bit. I think I'll go out to lunch with him so that I can, you know, be considered a tolerant person as I hang out with this. It's a terrorist. They killed people. You don't hang out with terrorists. Can I get an amen? And you don't hang out with the terrorism of anger. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to respond to it. You've got to deal with it. You can't cultivate it in your life anymore. Jesus is saying, urgently deal with your anger. Urgently. This is important. This is discipleship, kingdom life in a culture of crisis, important. Deal with your anger. So how are we going to deal with it? You're like, I'm fired up. I'm in. I am in. Who all is in on urgently dealing with your anger? I'm in. I'm in. So what do we got to do? Okay, I'm ready. What's Jesus tell me to do? First of all, Jesus tells us to urgently review our hearts. To urgently review our hearts. In other words, to get honest. To get honest about what's really going on. Real inventory of you is what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 21. He said, You have heard that it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. By the way, he's quoting Old Testament here. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And then he's quoting from Mosaic Law, uh, Deuteronomy in chapter 5, verse 17. So this is Mosaic Law, Ten Commandments, You shall not murder, And then uh, a commentary on that, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, here's what religion does. Religion says, okay, that's easy. Just don't kill anybody. Amen? Amen. Goodbye. Have great lunch after church. It's all good. And we go, great. So, as long as I don't murder anybody, I can be angry with whoever I want to be angry with, right? Now, Jesus said, hey, 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 hey. I'm bringing a righteousness from God that goes way deeper. I'm going to the spirit of the law. I'm going to the source of murder. And what is the source of murder? Anger. You remember Cain? The first murder in the history of the, of the world was Cain. And Cain got upset because his brother was accepted by God and he was not. And you remember what happened? He starts getting angry. And do you remember what God said? God came to Cain and said, hey, buddy. I mean, this is my, this, that's, that's Joshua Gutter's translation. Hey, buddy, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, you need to master that anger. Remember that? And he didn't do it. And what happened? He killed Abel. The source, the root was anger. And then Jesus goes on to say, hey, listen, I'm going to go deeper, verse 22. But I say to you, now he's not contrary, he's not saying, hey, I'm getting rid of that law. He's saying, I'm adding on a deeper understanding of the law of murder. I'm, I'm adding on to my, for my disciples, for my men and women who follow me. This is what I'm telling you the meaning of this law means. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now listen. When he says, everyone who is angry with his brother, in the Greek, I know you guys love Greek, you love it, 
Don't you love it? You love Greek. And here's what's happening in the Greek. Greek is a present tense participle, which means a continuous action. So here's what he's saying. What that means is that could literally be translated, whoever is being angry, whoever is continuously cultivating anger against his brother, whoever is, is almost presenting and simmering underneath the surface and walking around with anger like those boxes that never got unpacked when you moved into your house and they're in the corner of your house and it's just there. Nobody sees it. Nobody, nobody would walk in and think that you've got boxes that haven't been unpacked because they see all the good stuff about your house. Nobody would look at you and say, oh, that's a really angry man or, oh, that's a really angry woman. No, no. Jesus is going to the stuff that only he can see and only you can see, which is a cultivating underneath the surface, boiling, continuous anger. Oh, you've gotten good at hiding it. You've gotten good at explaining it away. You've gotten good at rationalizing it. Jesus doesn't deal with us when we hit the hole in the wall or we experience road rage. Jesus deals with us privately. Hey, let me, let, me, let, me, let me deal with that issue you have in your heart with your sister or your brother, your wife or your husband, your children that you haven't dealt with. You're not dealing with it, and it's there. And Jesus says, I see it. And what I need you to do is review that. I need you to get honest about that. I need you to do inventory with that anger. Let me go back. No, one more, one more point here. Everyone who is being angry with his brother. The word angry comes from the Greek word orge, which means wrath. William Barclay described and defined the wrath that's being described here as purposely Firing up and warming wrath in your life. Imagine that. How many of y'all... Well, you don't have to raise your hand. Do you, uh, do you think I have ever done that? I'm a pastor. I never do that. Where you purposely get angry. Oh, this is deep. You, you, are, you are driving down the road and you're like, I'm going to turn down the radio and I'm going to get fired up about this. I'm going to have an imaginary conversation. How many of y'all drive down the road and talk to that person and you begin to enjoy it? It's like a drug at first. Of course, you need more and more private conversations to get the high that you get it. See, that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about that boiling, boiling, boiling. You can be the nicest person in the world and yet know what that is. The Old Testament commentary on Jesus' words before he even said them. Perhaps we should say Jesus is the commentary on, the, on this Old Testament passage. But in Psalm 37, the greatest chapter in the Old Testament on anger that you could ever find anywhere in the Bible. Or, by the way, anywhere in all of literature on anger. Psalm 37, go there. It is so phenomenal. But listen to what he says in Psalm 37 and verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. You see that? Fret not yourself. It only leads and tends to evil. That word fret means warming yourself 
by the fire of wrath. So what Jesus... So you're like, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, number one, he is not saying, everybody say not. He's not saying that anger is bad. In fact, anger is good. It's good to get angry about stuff, isn't it? When something goes wrong, when somebody does something wrong, when you see something that's unjust, righteous indignation is what the Bible says that anger is. God gets angry. The question is not if you get angry or not. The question is what you're going to do about it. How are you going to respond to it? There's an old English proverb that says, He is wise who gets angry, but he is a fool who stays angry. That's the issue. And you know what Jesus is saying to all of you? You know what Jesus is saying. Let's get real. And admit. Surrender. And say, I am an angry person. Admit. Come to him. Do your inventory and say, Jesus, I am angry and I don't know what to do. I, I, I enjoy being angry. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy, it gives me a sense of control to have this simmering anger, anger underneath the surface and I don't know what to do. Jesus is breaking us down to where the only thing we can do is come to him and say, I have to surrender this anger. You know, I got to tell you, weakness is never admit. It, it, weakness is not being strong. Or, or, or being strong is admitting that you're weak. That's what I meant to say. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What is meekness? It's saying, I can't deal with this. I don't know how to resolve conflicts rightly. I, I'm, not, I'm not responding to this situation rightly. And I need you, God, to do for me what I cannot do. Imagine if we could come to Jesus and imagine marriages that could be saved, relationships that could be saved. Imagine churches that could be saved. Review. Review. review urgently review your heart when it comes to anger. And you know, Jesus is, he's making us desperate. He's diagnosing us in a way to where we become desperate. I always like to say, you know, at Crosspoint, what we want to do is we want to connect the riches of God's grace to the realities of life. But you know what Jesus is doing is he is preaching the realities of life so that we become desperate for the riches of God's grace. Review, urgently review the real story in your heart about anger. And once you do that, then the second thing is urgently renew your trust in God. Urgently renew your trust in God. Look at verse 23. You say, oh yeah, man, I, I see it happening. I see the progression. First, it starts out as a boiling, simmering anger that nobody sees, but it's going to come out at some point in time. And the, and the first thing that comes out is you're going to call, you're going to insult your brother. Did you see the progression there, by the way, in verse 22? First thing you do is you, you insult your brother and you say to him in the Aramaic, it's raka, which literally means like nitwit or dummy or, you know, my brothers used to say stupid. You know what I mean? 
And then the next thing you do is you call a person a fool. The, the Greek word for fool is moronos or moron. So you, go, so you go from like you're just not smart to you're a moron or a fool, which means that you have no moral character or connection to God. Jesus is graphic about what happens in the life of an angry person. It begins to develop and progress. And so by the time you get to verse 23, we're desperate to get to the solution. And he says, interestingly, he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, this is a remarkable illustration. Because the the comparable picture is if you're at church and you're worshiping God and you're saying, Holy Spirit. Oh, man, don't sing, Josh. Uh, You you start saying, Holy Spirit, come. Bless my life. Fill me. And in that moment of worship, Jesus says, and you think, oh, my gosh, I am not right with my brother or sister. His illustration is you need to leave, stop the song, leave church, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and worship God in your praise. Now, what's that mean? What that means is, is that the biggest problem with anger is that it eclipses God's greatness to us. If we're angry people, we can't love God. If we're angry people, we can't worship God. We can't enjoy God. We can't enjoy church. Angry people cannot enjoy the truth and the zeal and the passion that happens in worship. Anger eclipses God and it eclipses his character. And what's his character? Unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A desire for the church to be united. A desire for families to be united. A desire for husbands and wives to be united. A desire for mothers and children to be united. A desire for unity is his character. And if we don't have unity in our own life, then how can we worship and appreciate who he is? Because he's completely different than everything else we experience. And God is saying, you need to go get reconciled with your brother so that your worship can become passionate. Your worship can become real. Your relationship with God can become a possibility. Could it be that the new atheism of a postmodern culture in the 21st century is not really as intellectual as they make it sound? Could it be that it's a breakdown in relationships? That's what it is. It is. It is. And anything that eclipses our relationship with God, we need to go get that right. Now, can I tell you he's exaggerating? I mean, I want you everybody to come to church next week. Don't leave right now, right? He, he, he does this with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Next week, we're going to talk about lust. And he's going to say, cut out your eye and chop off your arm. Okay, we're not going to have buckets up here and start cutting off. You know what I'm saying? Like, so everybody relax, but you see, what's he saying? There is a deep connection Deep connection between our spiritual life and our relational life. And like a doctor coming, I would say, hey, doctor, I've got headaches. I'm having all these headaches, and I I don't know why. Can you just give me some aspirin? The the doctor's going to start asking me lifestyle questions. Can I get an amen? He's going to start saying, what are you drinking? Oh, about 12 Diet Dr. Peppers a day. You know, what are you eating? Oh, mashed potatoes and french fries. You know, what, what do you, 
you know, what, what are you listening to? Hard rock, metal, really loud. You know, you, you might want to get rid of the loud music, all the carbs, and the diet soda. And maybe you're, I know I'm like, it doesn't have anything to do with my headache, though. You see what I'm saying? Here's what Jesus is saying. You wonder why. We wonder why we're not renewed in our relationship with God. You want to know why? Because we're unwilling to do the courageous thing in relationships that are broken. We're unwilling to be reconciled. And if we're unwilling to be reconciled, how can we even begin to enjoy the reconciliation that God has brought to us through Jesus Christ? How can we even begin to understand the message of the cross? I'll sing about the cross all day, and then I'll live the very opposite message of the cross. I'll live the very, I'm going to go experience the love of God, and yet I don't know anything about love in my own relationship. See, Jesus is a doctor. He's a physician, and he didn't come to be a physician for the healthy to say, oh, there, there, you're a good boy, and he didn't become a physician so that he could deal with the symptoms. He's a physician that deals with the roots. He gets to the cancer. He gets to the disease, and he says, you got to get rid of it, and how do you get rid of it you got to be reconciled but let me go let me go even let me go even deeper you're like please go deeper I'm going to go even deeper I would argue this that anger is a failure to trust God and the reason why anger becomes a failure to trust God is because anger becomes God it's an idol now watch this what is an idol An idol is anything that rules our minds and our hearts and our affections more than God. Thank you, Elder Cameron Easley, for giving me that definition, a great definition of idolatry. Anyone or anything that eclipses God and becomes our functional savior is an idol. And guess what? There are many people bowing at the altar of anger. And they're trusting anger to solve the problem that it will not solve. They're trusting anger to make them happy. It won't. They're trusting anger to be the blessing. It won't do it. All idols destroy us in the end. Even those things that are good things in our life that become idols become destructive if they take the place of God. Children, spouses, money. All of the things that we idolize in our life and we lift up and we say, you will rule my mind. You will be my truth. You will be my affection. And if that one thing is not the priority of the holy God of the universe, that very thing will destroy you. And anger destroys. It is a false God. It cannot bring justice. It cannot bring judgment. It cannot solve the problem. Only God can. You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is offering himself. You know what? The idol has replaced God. Let me replace the idol and get God back in your life. If idolatry and anger is what is eclipsing God in your life, Jesus is saying, get rid of it. I'll replace that. We'll do an exchange, and I will bring God back into your life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I'll get you back to him. Use me. Come to me. Bring it to me. Bring that broken piece of glass. And if you've become thorns in the hands of other people, bring your heart. I will change you. I will soften you. I will transform your life. I will make you a new creation by the Holy Spirit. Come to me. Bring it to me, honestly. Going back to Psalm 37. Again, 
I mean, these are, we are on the two greatest pieces of literature on human anger you will find anywhere, I promise you. In Psalm 37, watch this. In verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord, that's it, and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. You see the psalmist is saying, replace, this is what Jesus is saying, replace your anger with committing your way to God. And He will give you what you're looking for. Because what you're looking for, listen, you're looking for happiness and peace and desires. And somebody's taken that from you. Somebody has stolen that. And that hurts a lot of people when somebody comes and betrays desires. When somebody comes and, 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 and takes the place of God and then abuses us, I know that hurts. And God is saying, come back. I'll give you those desires again, man. I, I will not leave you like an orphan. I will give you peace. Renew, beloved. Urgently renew your trust in God. And that's why Jesus is saying this. Jesus is not saying this to slap you around or to tell you how bad you've been or whatever. He's saying, this is why I came. This is what, this is what I do. I bring God back. I bring the desires back. I bring healing. I bear the iniquities of them all on the cross. I take your burden. I take your sorrows. I take your grief. And I will turn your ashes into the brightest noonday ever. I am the healer. You see, when Jesus stopped healing people, there they were. They were the, the epileptics and the demon-possessed. And all those villages brought those broken people and he laid his hands on them and they were healed. And the man who, hadn't, who couldn't walk for 38 years he, years, he was healed and he was able to walk. And he heals them and then he begins to preach. And you know what we think? We think, oh, he's begun to preach. I wish he'd go back to the healing ministry. But listen, he is doing his deepest healing ministry right now, beloved. He is touching our soul. He is causing us to get up and walk and to leap and to praise with joy because we have found God again. He is healing us of our epilepsy of our inability to deal with relationships he's helping us to walk like we've never walked before we'll walk unlike any paralyzed person ever got up and walked if we will hear him on this issue of anger he's healing in the deep places the real places he's not playing church he's not being religious he's not some guru who just sits there and says wise little pithy sayings he's saying i'm going to deal with your heart man i'm going to get god back on the throne of your heart and you're going to be free from your anger you're going to drop the piece of glass you're going to get rid of the thorns and you're going to be delivered from hell that is jesus man urgently renew your trust in god and you will be delivered Once we begin to do that, we get honest. Now, you got to get honest. You got to review. That's hard. You got to review your heart urgently, and you got to urgently renew. But then here's the practical thing you're like, uh, 
But is he ever going to get practical? <laughs> you know, but here's the thing. Here's the truth. Don't go, don't go practical until you go spiritual first. That is so important. Don't go trying to solve all your human relationships if you don't got the God thing kind of flowing in you because you're going to go and probably make things worse. Can I get an amen? You've got to go and be reconciled to your brother in the right way. And only after you've been renewed in your trust of God can you then finally reconcile yourself and your relationships. Again, let me close this out. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come, term, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge of the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You see the two different parables. One is the, uh, the parable of the temple and, and, and worship and kind of a spiritual context. The other, the other parable is political. There's a judge and there's a court. In both situations, of course, Jesus, it, see, Jesus isn't going to let us compartmentalize our spiritual life with our secular life, is he? Oh, no. He wants to be Lord on Monday, not just Sunday. He wants to be Lord in our secular lives, not just in the temple and in the church. He's talking about your whole life. This isn't just about church relationships. And he's saying, you need to go and be reconciled. Now I'm confused. And I've only got like five minutes to describe how confused I am about this passage. Here's my confusion. I don't know if you caught it. You're probably confused too. Maybe not. You're smarter than me. He starts out by talking about my... I've been offended at first when he starts talking. Did you see that? If you are offended by your brother, then go. Right? I mean, that's where, that's where I think he's going to go. But he says, when he goes practical, he says, if your brother is offended by you. Now, wait a minute. I thought he was talking about me. Why is he suddenly talking about my brother being offended with me? I thought this was about me being offended by my brother. I thought he's done something stupid. I thought he's the one that's been the fool. I thought he's the one that abused me. So now I've got to go and say, hey, you've abused me. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, if your brother is offended by you, he switched it very subtly. You're like, what does that mean? I have no idea. But here's what I'm thinking. I'm just thinking this. What I'm thinking is this. By the time we get to the practical step after spiritually being reconciled by God through Jesus Christ, do you know that God was angry with our sin and he did something about it? And what did God do? He died for our sins on the cross in Jesus. And those who are greatly forgiven by God no longer need as much of the justice in their own life from other people. Great forgiven people become great forgivers. Amen. The only thing left for a disciple of Jesus Christ in most situations is to look around and say, have I offended anybody? Have I brought anger into people's lives? Because it's just as important as helping other people in their anger as it is dealing with my anger. In fact, sometimes when we help other people in their anger, it helps us with our own anger. Isn't that true? And so he says, you know what? Be sensitive and look around. Now, you can still apply this, though. Let me just say this. You can still apply this if somebody's offended you. And the point is still the same. Whether you've offended somebody or whether you've been offended, here's the practical step. You need to go quickly, urgently, 
and reconcile that relationship. Now, there has to be somebody here who has somebody, and that is possible. That is within your grasp. It only takes a little humility and a small conversation, and reconciliation can happen. I bet you there's somebody who needs to hear that right now. You just need to go and be reconciled. Be reconciled quickly. Go and make terms. When I, when I think about this passage and I think about the practical implications, I always think about 12-step programs. And the reason why I think about 12-step programs is because I grew up in a household of 12-step programs. I, I was surrounded by this. How many of you all know what a 12-step program is, right? You got an AA and all these other, all these other anonymous programs, right? And, and I grew up in a household that, that had those things. And I was reviewing this week uh, some of the 12 steps. And what I began to think is the 12 steps plagiarize the Sermon on the Mount. Can I get an amen? They really do. Like, if you think about it, I hope I brought it up here. I did. Hallelujah. Because I couldn't remember them by memory, but you know what I'm saying. I'm a professional. Don't try this at home. But what I thought about is I thought about, you know, a big part of the 12-step programs in sobriety or any kind of healing or recovery is making amends. And here's step number four. Step number four is we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Isn't Isn't that what Jesus is telling us to do? To review. Do an inventory. Here's step number eight. We made a list of all the... Have you ever done this? We made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to to them all. That's a list of all the people that you've offended and saying, I'm going to go amend those relationships. And here's step number nine. We made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. It acknowledges that you need to make amends with the people you can, but there are some people you can't go talk to. There are some people that you cannot be reconciled to. Isn't that right? And you can't, you can't do it because it's a past husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or somebody that really brought deep abuse. And so what you got to do is you got to find a way to make amends even though you can't go talk to them. Or you need to write out a letter. Or you need to go talk to a pastor or a counselor or whatever. And the point is all the same. Do something. Reconcile it in your life. People have come and sat down with me as a pastor, and they've brought out their list, and they've talked to me for an hour and a half about all the people that have harmed them and all the people they've harmed, and they've just asked me, can you just listen? And I just listen, and then I pray over them, and that's a part of their recovery process. And let me say, we can all apply that to our lives. Are you urgently reconciling your relationships? And I know there's, other, there's others of you, you're like, you know... It's just going to cause too much problems, and I'm not going to do it. But you know deep down in your heart you need to. Who do you need to be reconciled to? Go quickly. And if at the end of the day it's not that big of a offense and you're angry about small hill of beans, then admit it's a small hill of beans. Forgive them and move on with your life. Amen? Jesus is giving us permission on the stuff that isn't big. Just move on. Don't hold on to drama. This is critical, beloved. If we can be followers in this world 
who knows how to deal with our anger urgently, we will be a blessing. We will be so attractive. We'll be salt and light in this world because people haven't figured this out. And they're going to ask us, what in the world? You are so different. I don't don't even understand what it is because people who have solved anger are unique, uncommon in this culture. That's how you're salt and light. That's how you're counterintuitive, not only countercultural, you're counterintuitive to everything that's going on right now. How many people are upset about everybody and everything right now? 24 hours news is not helping, by the way. We're getting fired up about people we don't even know. And if we can be different, we'll be salt and light and we'll represent the kingdom in a culture of crisis. Deal urgently with issues of anger in your life. Let us pray.